0: Do you feel like you've divided your life into all the kid things and all the adult things? Our guest today is going to encourage you to be less
1: kid-focused
0: and more family-focused. Stay tuned.
1: I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits, and I hate shopping armoire makes getting dressed easier armoire is a clothing rental membership option and janet and i recently have both tried it out and you guys it is so much fun you go to their website you get to take a little quick style quiz takes five minutes and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing pictures wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit onboys. That's armoir.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Trying to keep track of everybody's schedule is crazy. When you have kids doing multiple sports plus school, maybe two different school schedules, parents, keeping track of it all is a nightmare.
0: The app Cozy, C-O-Z-I, allows you to have all of these details on your phone and on your kids' phones and on your divorced other parent phone so they all come together in one place
1: that's the beauty of it you can share your link with everybody in your family your older kids can add their events you don't have to take that on and then you can see at a glance everybody can see at a glance who needs to be where today easy helps coordinate helps plan you know who's going to be home at what time approximately
0: and doctors appointments and oh date night you can schedule date nights in there and let your spouse know that he's got a date night scheduled how about that
1: that he's in charge of planning it this time
0: (laughs) this is an app that is has been named a must-have app for a better life by the today show And I think that just getting everything in one place, it's color-coded, it's organized, it is a real benefit to everyone in the family.
1: You can integrate it with, uh, if you're already using a different digital calendar, you can integrate that. So don't let that be a barrier. Download Cozy, C-O-Z-I, give it a try, let us know how you like it. And now, On Boys.
0: Do you love taking your kids to the Children's Museum on a Saturday or to the latest kid-themed restaurant, looking forward to the next kid birthday party at the skating rink, the bounce house, or the local swimming pool? Not. Our guest today also wasn't crazy about these kid-centric activities and felt guilty about it. Yet she thought, this is what a good mother does. This is optimal. I have to sacrifice what I want to do on the weekends for her. As a scientist and a writer, she began to get very curious about the myths of parenting that we in the Western world seem to operate under. And I confess, when I saw her article and read about her book, I felt a big, huge yes. Why do we burden ourselves needlessly with piles of toys that our kids don't actually play with all that much? And how can we do things differently in a way that eases some of the tension, conflict, and stress that we feel? That's what we're diving into today. Welcome, Micheline Duclef.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's It's a pleasure and an honor.
0: Yes, and you're the mom of Rosie, who is? She
2: is almost six, five, five and three quarters.
0: So as so often happens in parenting, our kids lead us to learn and explore things we never thought we would. I think I heard that you were actually a chemist. Yes, I am. uh, I have a PhD in physical chemistry.
2: Yes, very hardcore, hardcore scientist trained and um, worked at NIH for a couple of years in a sub-basement laboratory.
0: And now you're writing parenting articles and books.
2: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I never thought this would be the course of action, but you're so right. I mean, when you have a kid, kind of everything goes out
1: the window and you start thinking about things you never thought you would, right? But it doesn't all go out the window because that (laughs) same curiosity and spirit of inquiry that you brought to your science made you look further. You're like, wait, I don't have to just do it like this because that's what everybody else is. Why are we doing this? Is there a different Mm -hmm. way? So you bring all of yourself to parenting. Even if the focus changes, it's all there. That's a great point. point. Yeah.
0: Good point. She's real. She's the wise one in the podcast. So what were, what were the frustrations? What were the questions that led you to this exploration? it really started when
2: Rosie, so Rosie is a fantastic little girl. She's super smart, super funny and like, great. I don't want to put Rosie down too much, but she's also just like wildly loud, persistent, obnoxious, you know? And when she was two, I mean, from day one, day one, the baby was screaming. My my husband told the pediatrician, like, I think she's either screaming, sleeping or eating. Like there's just, (laughs) there's no, there's no just hanging out with parents you know this this was not our experience and when she was two she really became kind of out of control like there was just massive tantrums a lot of hitting you know and i a lot of biting um and i i really didn't know what to do i i wanted everything in my heart wanted to help her you know wanted to teach her how to calm down, to calm her down. And things that I would read, I'd read books, I'd read blogs and I would try things and everything just seemed to make things worse. And we'd end up in these big cycles of like, I would eventually get angry and she would get
1: louder. And, and um, you know- And we know this is sounding so familiar to all of our <laughs> listeners right now. I appreciate your honesty. You know, when you, yes, she's a great child and she's wildly loud and she had these tantrums and she was biting and she was hitting. And even though I am a smart and caring parent, I had no idea what to do. Exactly.
2: And to be honest, I was kind of, kind of gave up a lot. I was just kind of like, well, this is how we're it is. just going to be these horrible parents. And like, you know, like I say in the book, like I really started to dread my time with her. Like I would lay in bed kind of dreading her waking up and, and it was kind of sad. It was sad in many, many, many ways. Um, but I guess a part of me never really gave up because like. So for my job at NPR, I I do a lot at my desk since I'm a scientist and kind of read papers, but they would every now and then send me somewhere to to investigate a new virus, you know SARS viruses and bat caves and and they actually sent me down to the Yucatan to do a story about attention in kids. There were some studies that looked showing that Maya kids were better at paying attention in certain circumstances than American kids. And so me and a producer went down to a, a really small little Maya village in the Yucatan, and Rosie at the time, she was two and a, she was two and a half. And um, we were really in the thick of it. And what I what these parents showed me in this week that we were there just really shifted kind of my whole thinking about parenting. And I started to think like, oh, my gosh, there is a different way to do this in a, in a way that's like not only easier, but seemed to be more effective and seem to be producing these children that were kind and calm and helpful. And, um, you know, there was, there was no screaming, yelling, bickering, like (laughs) on either end, you know, maybe the little two-year-olds, three-year-olds, but the older kids weren't. And, and this trip really shifted me. And, and the incredible thing about it was I came home and I actually started to implement a little tiny things from it. Like, oh, Maria, he was doing this in Yucatan. I'm going to try it. And, um, it works so well.
1: Like I was so surprised. That, Give us know. an example. What was Maria doing? What was that little shift that you started making where you're like, huh, maybe there's something here. Maybe it will work with my kid.
2: Yeah. And like, what else is there? <laughs>
1: um, so <laughs> one before. of the key- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me learn more.
2: Um, there were two things. I think, first of all, I was starting to realize that there was this sense in me that I think I learned from my parents and from society that like I was supposed to kind of tell Rosie what to do all the time. Like put that stick down, don't do this, you know, say that, say hello, say thank you, you know, come over here, don't do that. And the families in the Yucatan, the, the parents in the Yucatan, that was not what they did at all. In fact, they they stood, they stand back and watch and let the child kind of explore their space a lot. And and if the child does something that's kind of really unsafe or they really cross a line, then they physically kind of help the child. And this Mm -hmm. kind of constant, what I kind of was thinking of as like an imprisonment. I kind of imprisoned Rosie in this little box that I was, you know, thinking that that was what I was supposed to do. And so I, I stepped back a lot and stopped interfering so much. And just this like helped us, right? Because every time I told her something to do, I was running the risk of getting her upset or me getting upset because she wasn't listening to me. So I really started stepping well, back.
0: Wasn't listening or the risk, and I know parents feel this, of if I ask her to do something, what do I do if she says no? What do I exactly. do if she resists? Then you're in this cycle and you're helpless. What do you, you are do? You're
1: creating 80 million opportunities for conflict when you're doing it, that exactly. versus, as you said, just kind of sitting back and letting things unfold. Okay. She's holding a stick or in the case of many of our listeners, he's holding a stick. How many of you have had that conversation and feeling like you should interfere when your son's at the park and he picks up a stick, just wait, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like nine
2: times out of 10, at least with Rosie, she would pick up the stick. Maybe she hit like the tree and then, <laughs> and then that would be like it right? Like there was barely this you know, there was a very little threat. And, and that's what I started to see that many of the times I was saying things, running the risk of conflict. And in fact, I needed to say nothing if I just waited a little bit of time. Um, the other thing I started doing was what you alluded to in the introduction was, I really was like, you know what? I'm not going to these kid-centric things anymore. <laughs> I'm not taking her to the play area, in, the inside play area, the you know kitty museum, Um, and it took a little bit of time. It took a few months of me kind of testing it out. Like, um, and also, you know, we get invitations and I have to kind of, you know, turn them down. So it took a while. It wasn't instantaneous, but I started to realize that one, I was happier if I didn't do these things, which made our relationship better, but also her behavior was better, like a lot better. If we didn't, if we ended up like doing something that the whole family could do and enjoyed that was, those were the two big things that I started changing and really saw this big impact in our family. And then I wanted more, like you said, what what else is
1: there? You know, I talk often on here, like I am all about easier right? Mm. If there's one thing I can do that's actually, you know, accomplishing three things at one time, fantastic. I am busy enough and stressed enough that anything that's going to make my life easier. Yes. And really you just found out that it was easier, more effective to not try so hard. Yes. (laughs) And I'm not like, I'm sure that it did take effort in the beginning to change your, your patterns and your habits as a parent, that does take some effort. You have to explicitly hold yourself back from saying, Hey, don't, are you? No, don't do that. Put the stick down. But then you found out that you could relax perhaps a little bit, be more yourself and things went more smoothly with your daughter. That's win, win, win.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that is really what I think the parents in the Yucatan showed me, right? Is that it? you know, we are trying, in some ways we are trying way too hard and we have this like kind of tight grip. Like I have to do these things. I, you know, like this sense of like, what am I going to do on the weekend? I have to go to this pizza party. Um, and and pizza, there's rarely that. There's rarely anything we have to do, you know, maybe brush their teeth
0: and i want to interject here because i know that there's listeners out there going yeah but grandma expects this and yeah but how are my how is my friend circle going to feel if i don't go to the their daughter's first birthday party that has you know a clown and 35 balloons and all the things and so there's a little bit of are you willing to swim upstream here are mm-hmm. you willing to say and i feel like you know, I've, I mean, I'm my, I'm, my kids are older, they're in their thirties. So I've seen this generational shift and mm. I felt it from my mom. Like my mom said, you know, we maybe had two birthday parties, like official birthday parties when I was growing up. And yeah. I loved having little get togethers for my kid's birthday. So we did that, but you know, that didn't used to be a thing. You didn't, it wasn't this big obligation and, oh, now I have to have the, what do you call those things? The
1: the goodie
0: bags. And And now it's got to be, but that, you know, it's got to ramp it up a little bit from that last goodie bag. I got to add more and it's got to be bigger. And, and we're really looking at saying no to you know, the Instagram worthy pictures of our kids, you know, happy, but we know they're going to be in meltdown mode before too long (laughs) if they haven't been there already. So how did you, how did you work with that with yourself and your family and the dynamics with your friend circle, your family and society? Like you're, you're going against the grain here, which I totally applaud, Michaeline. I think it's awesome. (laughs)
2: I mean, you're so right. Everything you said is completely on target and it is swimming upstream in many circles, I will say. You know, I think at first it was hard because I kind of didn't understand all the benefits of it, right? Because I hadn't seen like, okay, if we stop going to these parties, you know, how, what are the positive effects of them, right? Um, So it took a little bit of me seeing that to really then get a spine, a little bit more of a spine to say, no, we're not going. Like, I remember right after this, like, there was this giant birthday party, and I went. It was really over the top. And I, you know, and Rosie was so horribly behaved afterwards. It was just, it was, it was so bad. And so the next one, I, the next weekend, there was another one, and I was just like, I can't, we're not going, you know, we're just, this is, we're going to go to the beach, you know, and, um, and they made these bags. I know the parents made the bags. They were like these canvas bags with like their name on them, I and mean, it was so over the top, right? And like everyone at school had these bags, and Rosie was like, "I didn't get a bag," <laughs> <You know? laughs> And it was it was one of those moments where it was like, you know what? That's right. You didn't get a bag, and like, who cares? You know? It's like we have so many bags. You have so many bags, and we're gonna move on. And I think it was a turning point in me because it was like, this is not worth a bag, like this behavior problem, mm-hmm. this, you know, my feelings, her feelings, it's just not worth a bag. And and I think what happened over time too, and this is actually something that the Hadzabe women taught me in Tanzania, is that I started to kind of narrow my friend pool down a lot more to the friends that really kind of Share my feelings on these topics. Share my kind of parenting approach because there are parents out there that feel the same way. They don't want to go to these parties, you know, and they don't want to boss their kids around. And the the, the Hatzabe families really showed me that what and what I, and I've been doing a lot of research on this that what what people really need are a handful of really close good friends. Like this is what gives you support when you're down. This is what, you know, you, this is what lifts you up, protects you. This is what protects kids from anxiety and depression are these solid, strong relationships. We don't need 15 girlfriends, you know, we don't, we need like three or four families that we can count on. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so that, I think that's also what I did was kind of weed out the the parents that I didn't feel too good after I left them, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's at a party or play date, like they kind of made me feel kind of like bad. And I kind of just like, yeah, stop kind of hanging out with them. And, and, and it, and it helped me kind of solidify that, okay, what I'm doing is right for our family. And,
1: um, there's a couple of threads I want to pick up here. Um, first of all, what's right for you and your family, of course, may be different from what's right for somebody else's family. You know, yeah. listeners, if you love taking your kids to the children's museum, take your kids to the children's museum. You and know, take mine. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yes, go. You know, you know, like our kids do pick up our stress. So if you are going to that, and that is a stressful environment for you, your kids sense that the whole thing can degenerate very, yeah. very quickly. If you like it, great. If you can handle it for an hour, but three hours is too much, do what works for you.
0: Um,
1: what you said, this idea of swimming upstream and kind of being apart from what seems to be the larger culture, uh, important point that you made, first of all, it's not everybody. Yeah. It's very easy to think like, this is what everybody is doing when it's in our social media feeds. And when that's what we're seeing all over the place, but it's not everybody. And so there is also some very powerful role modeling going on that, at five, almost six, your daughter's likely not aware of, but you figure out what works for you and you do that. It doesn't really matter what the rest of the world is doing at that point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that there is this narrative in our culture that like, like I, like you pointed out, like that you have to do these things to be a good parent, that you're somehow doing a disservice to your child if you don't and that is just insane. I mean if you look around the world and throughout history no, and actually, you know, you you might be doing some children a disservice by going to these parties.
1: You know the idea that this has kind of become the quote-unquote norm, the expectation, it's a very privileged stance in a lot of ways because a lot of people do not have the money, transportation, access, free time, to go to Chuck E. Cheese, to go to the Children's Museum. And that has certainly been true throughout history. <laughs> it's true in many places today. And people are raising good, fine human beings without all those trappings. So let's just be real with ourselves and say, maybe these are nice to have. Maybe. They're absolutely, positively not necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think some of it, I mean, at least for me, some of it was, I didn't know what to do with her
1: otherwise,
2: right? Like I had yes. never seen like, what do you do? And people, people ask me this all the time. What do you do on Saturday? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know tell, well, what do you do after school? You know? And um, I think that's what also the families in the book really kind of showed me is what you do, <laughs> you know, and what a lot of kids really need. So Rosie isn't great with a lot of stimulation, noise, lights, Energy, right? She just kind of soaks up all of that and goes crazy herself. And so what she actually needed was us to do very little on Saturday. She needed this time to like hang out with me while we made breakfast and hang out with me while we do the laundry and maybe go to a park, you know. Um, and 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 this was so much better for her mental health mm-hmm. than than you know, a loud party with a lot of sugar or or even more instruction, you know, like a soccer class or a art yeah. class or whatever. She, she needed this downtime. And I think a lot of adults do too. We just kind of forget, forget.
0: This episode is sponsored by By Heart.
1: Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart Baby Formula. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code onboys at byheart.com. That's B Y H E A R T.com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheartcom slash podcast. This is a limited time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply.
0: Winona, menopause care made easy. And I think that is that place of what do I do with my child, especially a young child. But the thing is that is really important to remember, and you bring this up in your article and your in your book, is that kids want to do the work, quote unquote, of adults. They're yes. looking at us like washing dishes for a child, a young child, especially whoa, that looks like some serious fun, right? Yeah, And bubbles and sponges and water. What is more fun than that? With mama or dada, you know? Right, (laughs) and so to bring them in, and what we know about young children is that they learn through imitation. They learn through doing these tasks with us. So to teach a four-year-old, a five-year-old how to wash dishes, you're instilling this habit. You're instilling, you know, they know how to clean up spills. Try to teach that to a 13-year-old, uh-uh, <laughs> especially 13-year-old boy. Likely not going to be nearly as fun. So that when is you fun. <laughs> have young children in the home, teach them, give them a child-sized broom, teach them to sweep. Take the time to do that. And you know, you're you're not going to be fighting the chore battle later on. They want. To do these things and be helpful, and I think the other I want to absolutely talk about this other thing because I think it—true confession—it's a pet peeve of mine. Our kids have too much stuff. Yes, they have too many toys, which makes life crazy. Because what are you spending Saturday doing? Oh, we've got to clean up, or you're feeling the chaos as as the parent and having the conflict and the tension with your child about cleaning up. So talk about toys and too much yeah. stuff.
2: You know, it's interesting because I think that there's a sense that there's no downside to, to toys. Like, well, what's it hurt, you know, to have another thing you're, and there is absolutely, like you say, this, this, this mental health downside, you know, there's conflict and also psychologists have shown that it's stressful to have clutter. Like our brains feel stress around clutter. Right. So if you look back about 150, 200 years ago, no, no kids in the U.S., you know, no kids really in the world had toys. Whether you were rich or poor, all across all races, you know, maybe a parent will make a child a small doll from cloth or, you know, like yeah. so very select toys. Right. What, what kids did was they made them, you know, from sticks, things outside, discarded stuff from parents. So kids, like you say, kids love doing what parents do, especially the young kids. And so they will just take like a small piece of something you're doing and make it into a toy, right? You can give them, and and you could tan the moms would give Rosie a little bit of dough. And this is what kids did have done for like a hundred thousand years. And And all of a sudden
0: Fisher Price and Mattel came along and Legos. Yes. and
2: and this this narrative or dialogue from psychologists and experts that this is what kids need and this is what's good for them that that had to go along with it. Today many psychologists question this. And like you say kids get toys and then they hardly use them. And so this is going to sound crazy but we got rid of almost every toy during the pandemic because I couldn't take the clutter and I was so tired of it causing conflict and um you know we had a very small condo and, and we just couldn't do it and you know, it didn't matter at all. <laughs> it didn't affect Rosie at all. Like there was not, a, she didn't miss one, a beat.
1: <laughs> this is one that I think is so hard for parents because we do live in this culture where there is this expectation of toys.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like you were saying, Janet, those around us have that expectation. Mm-hmm. So I am telling you that even if I never bought my children any toys, they would be inundated that's right grandparents well-meaning other people right and I have right. four children so like once yeah. you have one kid and we had like all the Tonka trucks known to mankind and I, <laughs> I am still a huge fan of Tonka and I think those were were beloved and needed toys in my household you don't need more of them and yet people keep wanting to give them to you and then as the parent you know I, I, like my kid thinks they're going to get a present from me for the holidays or their birthday. So I feel this pressure to get them something. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. People always ask, but she has no toys. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> we got rid of the toys, but the toys still come. <laughs> like there's yeah. No, there is never, a, I say, you don't have to worry. You will never be without something because people you know, so we do a couple of things. We constantly give them away. We make boxes that we give to Goodwill. You know, we, we get, you know, we go to a friend's house. We give, let's pick out a toy and give them, give it to our friends, you know, so we oh, use sure. this as a- Sure, take
0: it to your friend's house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know, it comes back. There's no question, right? So it turns, I mean, this was something I saw up in the Arctic a lot is the toys here are this kind of source of conflict. Who gets it? Siblings, Friends, whereas up in the Arctic, it was incredible. Toys were this this source of an opportunity to share and work together. And there was, and that's what I was I'm trying to turn it into is this like instead of this thing that's mine or yours, it's something that we we use with other people. We use to facilitate play. And and, um, so there's that. I'm trying to switch the narrative of, of a possession that's mine to to teaching Rosie about sharing and generosity and you know. Um, so I love that aspect of it. Um, and has worked really well. And
1: I can see how, you know, toys, especially modern toys can get very boring after a while because too often they only do one thing versus being a toy. You can do multiple things with. So if you are doing say a toy swap or giving away with friends, it keeps it fresh all the time. You're not getting bored with your toys and you're not getting stuck with the same crap in your house all the time. Yeah, exactly. So there's that. It is a constant
2: work though. It is like this kind of constant like we need to push it out type of thing.
0: The other um, thing I, I want to it. plug in here about toys and I'm remembering watching my little niece who was, you know, kind of in the toddlery stage and their living room was, you know, this little toy set, this little light up thing, this little, you know, just like a little uh, smorgasbord of toys and I would watch her go to one thing, manipulate it for a minute, but then look over and see the next thing and go to that thing, and then look over and see the next thing. And we wonder why our kids can't focus. Yeah we haven't given them the opportunity to focus on that one beautiful piece of wood that can be a boat and a fire truck and whatever and wrap some cloth around it and it can be a baby. We are taking away or not nurturing our child's ability to focus Mm -hmm. by having all the sparkly things out all at once.
2: Yeah, and some psychologists would also like cross cultural psychologists would also argue we're kind of taking away kids initiative like the the like their ability to learn initiative this is my new my new i love this topic this idea that kids need to learn how to take initiative how to like you know you do it every day you're like okay what am i going to do next right like what do i need what needs to be done no one's telling you you figure it out and that's skill that's a skill that children learn and they don't learn it if we're telling them what to do or handing them a new toy every moment, right? Or, you know, it's it's this thing of like, what do I do now? And looking around me and kind of figuring that out. The other thing that I, I will say about the toys are gifts. So I've been trying to give Rosie things that are kind of more family gifts, right? So I I wanted to learn how to knit more. And she's super into knitting ever since we got back from the Arctic. And so for Christmas, we, we got needles and thread. And like, it was a, something that, you know, we could do together. And instead of this thing, that's just hers, again, like trying to create more of a, of a sharing opportunity and a family project instead of
1: like possessions. Um, I want to pull together two threads here, initiative. That is huge for so many of our boys. I mean, Janet, Mm -hmm. how many times do we hear from families and from educators, you know, these boys, they just don't want to do anything. They're unmotivated.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: to me, it's not a huge surprise. If for the first, the first 12, 10, 14 years of your life, everybody is telling you what to do all the time and you never get to make choices. You're not going to take initiative. You're not going to be self-driven because every time you tried, somebody's yelling at you, or it Mm -hmm. seems like they're yelling at you. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. That's such a good point. I hadn't even thought about The
2: opposite. Like, so I always think about like, you can't learn to take initiative if people are telling you what to do. But also if then when you take initiative, somebody like corrects you, Mm -hmm. it's actually teaching the opposite that you don't know how to do it. Right. That you you are dependent.
1: There has been this divorce in our culture that happened, I think over the last hundred years or so, where there is the adult world, there is the kid world. And it used to be much more integrated. And as you found traveling to some other places, there are still places in the world where it's like this is human life and the kids come alongside the adults and they learn alongside the adults in modern society in the United States. It's so age segregated. So So, it's hard to do that. It takes much more deliberate effort to do that. And you know, I can do a little bit in my family and you can do a little bit in in your family, but do you think there's hope of kind of knitting it back together? How can we maybe recreate some multi-generational spaces and opportunities to learn from each other up and down on the age spectrum? Well, I think the pandemic gave us this amazing
2: opportunity to do that, right? Because it was like all of a sudden the kids are in the adult world, <laughs> you know, and we were living. You know, people had to kind of figure out, you know, how to live with each other, how to exist with each other, and get your job done with the kid right there. And you know, a lot of families I talked to have said, like, you know, this has given, you know, we cook together more, we point. go to parks more. And I, I, I do hope that it continue that continues because you know, that is really what kids are made. I mean, there's in in the book, this is probably the, the point that's the strongest backed by science. Like kids are really designed to evolve, to be with and help their families. Boys, girls, you know, everyone is born and it's what makes us really human, wanting to help each other, wanting to help people that love you and Um, That's why kids want to do the dishes too. They want to play with the water, but they also want to help and contribute and feel like they're making a difference in their family. And we take that away when we segregate them all the time, when we stick them in a class all the time, or when we say, no, you know, you're not ready to help with the dishes, go play. We take away that opportunity to contribute and help. And with that, we take away a lot of motivation there's a lot of data that shows kids are motivated by when they see their contribution, when they see mm-hmm. they're helping and making a difference. And we take away a sense of pride, right? And confidence. Like, ooh, look at me. I did I did that. Kids love that, right? I not only accomplished this task, but it helped the family. That's what kids really, really want. And the parents in the book are just masters at not only allowing, not just allowing, but facilitating that with little tiny kids, right? From two to 16, they know how to integrate the child into a task so that they can contribute, and it's actually way easier than than we think. So, for instance, when Rosie was just starting out, you know, three or four, when I was just kind of starting this, I'd say, "Come help me with 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 dinner," and then it, and then I give her them these tiny, tiny little tasks. So, mm-hmm. stir the pot, crack the eggs. You know, after cleaning up, it's like here. Put this plate in the sink. It's these tiny, tiny little tasks, but they're real. And what they do is they allow the child to contribute, work with you, be there with you, and and feel a sense of pride of like, I'm part of a team. And this, I think of everything, is what builds this connection with a child, a deep connection with a child that motivates them and gets them listening to you because they want to continue to be part of, of this team. This has been the biggest difference in our life.
0: Michaeline, I as you're talking, I just want to, well, first of all, I am kind of tearing up because I think this is the essence. This is what we're missing. And yeah. you know, part of it realistically is, you know, mom's been at work all day, dad's been at work all day, whatever, we're exhausted. We have to be realistic about what our culture has placed upon us in, in yeah. just surviving. And yet there are places to do that. I I know that there's a lot of like, I just want to cook dinner and you go watch TV or you go do that. But what you're saying is so absolutely the essence of being, being that team that you're trying to create all the time and giving your child that sense of, wow, I did this. And um, I think of my friend who at three, her son was standing on a stool, stirring hot soup. And, you know, (laughs) a lot of people would think, oh, my gosh, how is that possible? But it's possible because she had him even as a little baby on her hip in the kitchen stirring the hot soup. And so he grew into that as a natural process. And I kind of want to just bookmark this section of this podcast and put it in neon lights, it's the essence of everything that as a family coach, talking to moms of 10 year olds and 12 year olds, and this is what they're craving Crazy. This is the connection that they want so badly. I'm just getting chills as I'm I'm thinking about all the moms that I have spoken to. This is what they want. And if you have that young child in your home, this is where it starts. Not that you can't get there with the older child, but this is where it starts. And it starts with that baby on your hip not putting the baby in front of the TV when so you can go make dinner. It's having that baby with you in the kitchen.
1: I want to put in a plug for dads here.
0: Go Jen. <laughs> well yes. And Absolutely. I know
1: I know that we mean dads too, but what I what I mean specifically is that so much of the time it is uh we moms who yeah. are on Instagram, on social media, reading the parenting books, reading the articles, feeling all these, this is what I have to do to be a good parent trying to check all those boxes. Right. I remember distinctly being frustrated with my boy's dad because he was not good at entering the boy's world. Right. Like mm. he didn't do the things with them that they wanted to do necessarily. He was not a, uh, Hey, let's go pretend in the sandbox with the toys. He was not a, let's go toss the ball around but yeah. what he was very and is very good at was bringing them along with him as he did things. Mm-hmm. So we live in a rural area. We have a wood stove in our house. So one of the things is chopping wood, right? Yeah. Yeah. He would take the boys with them, all of them. And it was very much a kid kind of thing, right? So sure they help for a while and then they play in the creek and then they, and then they run around <laughs> and they do all that stuff. And then were my kids using a chainsaw younger than I probably would have let them? Yeah, yeah, they were. But it was their opportunity to be with their dad, to learn by doing. They helped, you know, load wood, unload wood, uh, time out And watching, right? I mean, they learned so much by just standing there. (laughs) So when he would go, he had, you know, four little boys of various ages and stages, and they all helped differently and they were able to take on different things, but it was really good for all of them. And there's a couple of things there. Moms, you know, trust your parenting partner. They might not do things your way, but that's okay. And in some ways their way may have benefits that your way doesn't. Uh, take some pressure
0: them. off yourself. Take some yeah, pressure off. Go do
1: what you need to do and find a way
2: to bring the kids. I mean, that is like what we do, you know? and, and Saturday is life. my errands or, or my husband's. And I mean, in many ways, the boys, The boy stuff, the man stuff is way more interesting than the, the, you know, the traditionally, you know, female jobs, right? I mean, woodwork, like I did a woodworking class with Rosie because I was like, yeah, I want to learn woodwork, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I want to get my husband to build this chicken coop here, you know, that's like perfect Rosie and him out there. They are painting, you know, there's so much more benefit for her for this. I think than than him like like playing with her, like so much more
1: kids developmentally, of course, can do different things. So the level of contribution that say a two-year-old could do to the building, the chicken coop project is different than what Rosie can do at just about six versus a 14-year-old. They can all be out there. They help while they help. And then they go off and do something else. And then they may come back. That's normal. You can't expect as you start bringing your child along into your adult activities, like you can't expect that they're going to have the same level of, um, attention or attention to detail or skill that you have as an adult. So as a parent, you have to make accommodations for that and just let that be okay.
2: Yeah. And I would also say, don't turn it into like school. No, you know, you know, like don't turn it into like, okay, now we're going to build a chicken coop and like, you know, like give a giant lecture because one, that's not how kids naturally learn. And, and then it becomes kind of like a burden for both the parent and the child, right? Yes. Like just do it. And then Find tiny things that, like you say, meet the, the skill level of the child. And it really doesn't, the age is not the whole thing, right? Like, Rosie can scramble eggs on a, a pan right now, right? Like, because like you say, she's been there the whole time. So let them see what they can do and kind of give them a task and then let them grow a little bit,
0: stretch mm-hmm. a little bit. And it occurs to me that we actually have not said the title of your book. Oh. <laughs> The publicist would not like that. Um,
2: yes, the book is called Hunt, Gather, Parents. What ancient cultures can teach us about the lost art of raising happy, helpful is key, little, little humans. Um, happy, lots of helpful. tips about this, what we're talking yeah. about now, like how to integrate kids into your life in a way that's not stressful
0: you have been a gift to us. I love this conversation. I think that, you know, of course, every family has to do what's right for them. And I I hope that this has given our listeners a little glimmer into a maybe a different way of being in community with your kids. Yeah. In that thinking of your, your title of your book, Hunt, Gather, Parent, you know, thinking about how we were in community for hundreds of thousands of years before we decided we had to live in suburbia in our own separate houses with, you know, 5 million toys and children's museums, which I'm not against children's museums at all, but understanding, like taking back some of the autonomy that we have as parents with our children and knowing that 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 connection is the essence. That's what we want, that's what's going to carry us through all the ups and downs of raising these beautiful little human beings. I so appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us, taking all those trips to all those (laughs) amazing places around the world and bringing your wisdom back with us. And of course, we'll include all links in the show notes, but tell, tell our listeners where they can find more of You and your dynamic and wise approach to parenting.
2: I'm I'm not great at social media, but I am on Twitter at 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 Foodie Science. Um, But you can also email me. I read every email. You know, I'm 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 a correspondent at NPR, so I we will continue to do stories stories there. And I just also want to say that we all live these busy lives, right? This sounds kind of can sound like overbearing, like oh my gosh, I have to do all. But when you connect with a child, you need very little of it. You know, if it's just one meal a week or one outing to chop wood a week, that is that will go so far with building motivation and building a connection with your child. It doesn't take very much. It's just about a little bit, a little tiny bit. Yeah. And it makes you feel better too. Oh my gosh! There's nothing more wonderful than feeling like you're cooperating and working together with with your kid. And yeah, I mean, I I would I give my right I would give an a whole arm
0: <laughs> for that
2: feeling. It's just so wonderful. Like when Rosie and I are really, really working as one and really kind of you, you know um, cooperating and connecting. It just you know, it doesn't happen all the time at all, like once a week, but the
1: effect lasts so long and it builds over time. I invite our listeners after you listen to this podcast and you go live your life for a week or so, if you think about it, come back on Facebook or on our webpage, leave us a comment. What was the one thing that you tried and what happened? Let us know how this is working in your life there's a lot of power when we share our stories
0: thank you for sharing yours micheline thank you for being here
1: thank you so much it
0: was it was really quite a pleasure jen and i hope you have enjoyed this topic with micheline and hopefully you will be able to incorporate some of these thoughts and ideas into your life We are glad you've incorporated on boys into your life. Be sure to share our podcast with a friend. Help us spread the word. And also, don't forget Cozy App, C-O-Z-I, a way to organize your life so that you'll have more time to spend with your children. Thank you for joining us. I am Janet Allison, and my co-host is Jennifer L.W. Fink.